Greetings. Welcome to a special edition of Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. What makes it special? Well, if we've overcome our technical problems and actually post this program, consider it special. Uh, an interview that we conducted, I believe it was back in May of this year, May of 2017, decided to go into hiding until now, and a fascinating and far-ranging interview it was with Ian McDonald, Ph.D. of The Vegan Option in the U.K., discussing his epic historical radio documentary, Vegetarianism, The Story So Far. And yes, the story certainly includes us vegans. You are in for an amazing journey on today's program. But first, let me thank the award-winning Evolution Vegan Dog and Cat Food for its support of this program and its support of Radio Bobby. Back when I conducted the interview with Ian, Radio Bobby had not yet been launched but it is online right now at RadioBobby.com, a 24-7 music station like you have never heard. You're really going to, uh, you'll love the music, uh, you'll love what's on Radio Bobby, you'll also like what's not on Radio Bobby. You'll never hear commercials for meat, dairy, fish, eggs, honey, uh, feathers, leather, um, fur, wool, silk, anything that uses animals. Uh, but uh, you will love the music at RadioBobby.com. Um, you know, it's a well-kept secret that many commercial uh, so-called pet foods have ingredients that you don't want, and you don't want to be feeding your loved ones um, the, uh, the dead bodies of sick animals, ground baby chicks, spent hens, uh, growth hormones, antibiotics, plasma, blood meal, sewage, and even rendered dogs and cats, and uh, the euthanizing agent that got them there. Um, so you want none of that, so call Evolution at 800-659-0104. It's 25% off your first order of dry food if you are a new customer placing your very first order. Call 800-659-0104 the first Wednesday of the month for 20% off dry food, 10% off cans, and now introducing new organic dog and cat food from Evolution. Again, the phone number, 800-659-0104. And Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden asks you to support your local 100% vegan restaurants, very special places in the community doing important work. They're, they're practically the, the rescue missions of today um, that have uh, delicious food. Uh, delicious, nutritious food. They deserve our support. And if you are in the San Jose area, you have one of the best vegetarian house vegan restaurant at 520 East Santa Clara Street. Check out the massive menu at vegetarianhouse.us. 100% organic, non-GMO, totally delicious, uh, amazing international cuisine at its finest. And Vegetarian House caters, so if you have a social event coming up, a business uh, function, and you need the food to be great, get in touch with Vegetarian House at vegetarianhouse.us. Please support our program with a tax-deductible donation. Uh, you can find the Donate button at goveganradio.com. Also, you can support us through Patreon subscription for as little as a dollar a month or a dollar an episode. And if you purchase through Amazon, uh, you can uh, 
do that at goveganradio.com also, and a percentage will come our way. Okay, well, let's uh, get into our amazing interview now with uh, Ian McDonald on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Returning to the program today is Ian McDonald, Ph.D. of The Vegan Option. He's also the producer of Vegetarianism, The Story So Far, A Radio History, an epic 15-episode study of the roots of compassion uh, that's been uh, broadcast on uh, Resonance 104.4 FM in London. And Ian was with us Oh, a while back, maybe you go to the archives at GoVeganRadio.com and search for Ian McDonald. And he was with us a, a while back when he was getting things going here. And uh, he sent me the, the first program, which was fascinating. I mean, just an, an amazing documentary, BBC quality. Um, and I thought maybe we should uh, check in now on the story so far, uh, you know, where the story so far is on vegetarianism, the story so far. So uh, welcome back, Ian. How are you today? Great to be on the show. I'm feeling good. Terrific. It's, so, oh. yeah. We're, so I'm just editing together the 15th and final episode for broadcast next week, um, looking at we've been through the whole breadth of history from Iron Age, Greece and India, through the um, the order of Manichaean elect who followed a, a vegan diet and spread from Western Europe in the age of the Roman Empire to medieval China, uh, right up until the discovery of the fascinated rediscovery of Indian vegetarianism by early modern Europe. And now, um, just before I spoke to you, I was editing together bits of an interview where I went over to spoke to a life vegan who was born in 1951, who can remember um, from his childhood the very, almost the very beginnings of organized veganism. I'm just, I'm just trying to work out if that's, if he's the oldest life vegan in the world. Ah, so the oldest life vegan, 1951. Well, um, mm. I was born in 1951, but I'm I'm embarrassed to say I'm only vegan for 33 years. So uh, he's 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 got me there. Uh, my nephew is 20. He's uh, nope nope he he doesn't make it either. So um, so are are you putting out an appeal for uh, to to see who who's the oldest uh, uh, lifelong uh, vegan? I would be very interested to know if if there are if there are any um, born earlier than 1951, because obviously there were vegan children in the 1940s. Well, there were vegan children. There were vegan children before then, but I don't know if any of well, them. Did, well, did you just say? Everybody... Did you just say that 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 uh, there there was veganism during the Roman Empire? Maybe. Uh... Maybe some of them are still around, right? I mean, if they were eating healthy. <laughs> the man is—they're fascinating. Um, but, um, uh, but sadly, yes. Uh, I the Manichaean elect—they're who are—they—they're they, a fascinating group because the Manichaeans. I, I mean, you can pretty much dive into any aspect of the story and and find 
some amazing, fascinating group you've never heard of. But the Manichaeanism is this uh, is this religion that arose in Iraq and well, Persia then, of course, and is kind of a combination of some Christian ideas, some Buddhist ideas, and Zoroastrianism, which was the state religion of of, of late antique Persia in in a, the second third century, and, and is very and and is one of pretty much the oldest religion that's still going on today. Uh, but Manichaeanism was um is the world religion that people have forgotten about um, because it it was an early arrival to Christianity in the Roman Empire and one guy who studies them told me that they had a reputation uh, for being exceptionally pale and beautiful in the which I guess is the uh, I, I guess is the standard of beauty of the uh, of the Roman Empire at the time um, commentators meeting groups of Manichaean elect in about the second century um, but they lost out to well I was going to say they lost out to Christianity, but I should say that they lost out to um, the form of Christianity that uh, that we know today, Nicene Christianity, uh, because in their own way, um, in the West, they tended to emphasise the role of Jesus um, in their in their theology, and definitely turned up uh, and definitely would hang out at the same monasteries as. Uh, as uh, as somebody will consider more orthodox Christians, and really presented themselves as another brand of Christianity. So it's uh, they're they're just absolutely fascinating, and I could uh, and I could talk about them for ages. Ah, well, hope, hopefully you are on your uh, talking about <laughs> them on your <laughs> on on your series now. Um, so how far back when when you're uh, tracing the roots of? Uh, what we're calling vegetarianism here now. I wish I could call it veganism, but um, what what was the starting point? Uh, what what's the earliest uh, point uh, to to which you've gone and uh, in in this quest? Well, I I really try to trace it back in anthropology in prehistory um, because I mean obviously there's a point past which you go where there is no writing and you're reliant on oral traditions um, you certainly get into that uh, you certainly get into that situation really quickly with the Buddha um, and Mahavir who you know about but you'll I, I should say the listens was contemporary of the Buddha um, espousing a related religion called Jainism and um, but of course, even when we're talking, we're talking about Pythagoras and the Buddha and, and Mahavir, um, it's hard to piece together what's going on because we're looking at accounts um, that survive from centuries later. But going back before then, looking at what we can tell of, of hunter-gatherers, or gatherer hunters uh, of of uh, of nomadic uh, pre farming groups, we can see um, we can see rituals about killing animals that suggest 
a degree of concern uh, for the offence you're causing by killing an animal, a sense of guilt almost. Um, well, that, 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 seems, a, that seems natural, <laughs> yes. I, would, I would think. <laughs> so, so, oh, so, so, you, so you trace the, the sense of guilt goes back, uh, uh, how far are you saying? Well, I mean, all we've when it comes to when it comes to uh, nomadic, non-settled groups, we can only really look at the ones who survived into the present day and say, well, maybe others are like that. Um, but and and it's extremely speculative. I mean, we're 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 looking at speculation. I talked to a really interesting social anthropologist, well, uh, anthropozoologist looking at our relations, relationships with other animals in the first episode. Um, and it's, specu uh, it's speculative, but when you look at, um, at the groups that are, are, beginning, um, to, uh, are beginning to farm animals, um, like um, like the hunter-gatherer groups of of northeast Japan, um, there's a strong suggestion that there's a strong suggestion that they are at least aware that maybe this is something reprehensible, that it's not taken for granted that killing animals is okay. You that these are definitely living creatures with a spirit that must be appeased. And ironically, you can. It, it's w one of the leading leading theories about animal sacrifice. As in the show, um, asks to what extent the ritual of an animal sacrifice or ritual slaughter is to try and spare yourself from revenge by the spirits of the animal. And when I look at the rituals in the early Indian texts, the uh, the Vedas, um, the, the Ashvamedha hymn um, of the horse sacrifice actually says to the animal that's about to be killed, um, don't worry, you're going to be absolutely fine. Um, you're going to go to heaven and be with all your friends. Um, try, which reminded me so much of the labels on so-called humane slaughter. And <laughs> I, I was just thinking, you know, just as you said that, I, I thought, you know, don't worry, it's okay, humane slaughter, right? You know, that, that, it flashed in my mind exactly uh, when you said that. Okay, I'm sorry. I should take this call. It occurs to me that it may be important. I'm okay, sorry. that's okay. Hello? Okay, that wasn't a call. That was just... Uh, All right, that's not. okay. Uh, J Jacob, will, uh, Jacob will edit at this point, I'm sure. Or if not, then people will hear that uh, you got a phone call uh, <laughs> yes. during the interview. So um, we're talking to Ian McDonald of The Vegan Option, and uh, he is the producer and uh, presenter of vegetarianism the story so far a radio history an epic 15 episode account of the roots of compassion um, we were talking you mentioned uh, a moment ago about uh, christianity and jesus and uh, in the past i've had historian rin berry on on this program and he he uh, he said that uh, jesus 
probably was vegan. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if you looked at, at all at uh, Genesis uh, book one, verse 29, which seems to be God's first commandment, um, which is to be vegan. Some it goes something like, behold, I have given you every plant on the face of the earth and every tree with fruit with seed in it. This will be your food, period, end of sentence. Um, wouldn't, would that be a, a historical uh, um, document? Uh, the, the, Genesis, well, book 1, verse 29? It's, it's definitely seems to be part of, of, of a mythology of the golden right, of of a mythology of the golden age, of um, of of a peaceful place where people uh, ate um, ate fruit and nuts and veg, that's current around most of the Eastern Mediterranean at the time. Um, you see something similar uh, in Greek mythology in the work of Hesiod, and uh, although there are versions in which there's hunting. It's it's a very strong recurrent myth it, it, that inspires some of the Greek philosophers to go vegetarian, um, and and within within the Judeo Christian tradition, there are an awful lot of people who um, who take it as an injunction to be vegetarian or vegan, uh, and we can almost look in reverse through history and. Um, I mean, today um, there are new religious movements like the uh, the Hebrew Israelites uh, of Jerusalem and, and African American movements who have uh, gone to Israel and set up a community, uh, and they uh, and they practice an almost vegan diet. I think they have honey, and uh, but it's certainly always been fundamentally important to the vegetarian traditions within Christianity. They've always looked to that line in Genesis um, rather than, say, uh, other details in the New Testament. Um, and it, uh, it's definitely one that the, um, that the Coptic monk uh, mentioned to me in relation to their, uh, to their vegan fast. I've heard an Not on the line. Uh, Bob, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Do you hear me? Yeah, sorry about that. Um, okay. The So to pick up... Um, so it's definitely something that gets quoted a lot by, uh, by vegetarian Christians, uh, whether that's the Bible Christians in the 19th century, uh, the work of... of, of Thomas Tryon and and, uh, and Crabbe the English Hermit in the in the seventeenth century, um, and of course, um, and, and and much earlier Christian groups. There, there have always been some within Christianity who've who've looked uh, to that verse as a reason for not eating animals. Although very much uh, a minor. Very much, a, a, and quite sadly, a minority within Christianity. Uh, I think. But, I think today maybe the uh, Seventh Day Adventists uh, are uh, survivors of, uh, of 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 that uh, doctrine. Uh, from what I understand, uh, Genesis one twenty nine seems important to them in present day, and many of the uh, restaurants uh, out there have been started by them. 
Um, a lot of people have been introduced to vegetarianism or, or now even more veganism, I guess. What was the word? Um, did, did the word vegetarian or th- did that mean vegan over history? I mean, was uh, Pythagoras a, a vegan vegetarian? What, what, what about this word vegetarian? Did it, did it mean vegan way back when, or did it, did it get compromised with eggs and dairy at some point when, you know, the, the, the dairy and poultry industries thought they could, you know, profit or what do you think about the, the word itself? I mean, a lot of people think vegetarian means vegan. It turned up in, well, it turned up in a vegan community in the 1840s and they started using it as kind of an obvious coinage to describe their, uh, their diet. And that community is, was in West London in, um, in the 1840s, the Concordites. Um, and in fact, they are, they tried to move the whole commune over to New England. And when they got involved with, Bronson, Amos Bronson Alcott, the father of Louise May Alcott, obviously, the, the children's author. Um, and I visit Fruitlands in the show where they try to do a commune. So, so that community that invented the word vegan and, of course, the Fruitlands commune that Louise May Alcott lived at for a bit and that I visit was vegan. Um, thinking of of a vegan diet did um, you say that you, that community you said that community that invented the word vegan or did you mean vegetarian at the time because didn't didn't vegan come in uh, uh the 1940s then you're saying with uh, absolutely Donald um, Watson? Uh, okay i mean i'll i'll misspoke i'll say that again you can edit um so the word vegetarian emerged from the concordites this community in london in the 1840s that's um that uh, was also involved with uh, Amos Bronson Alcott, who, who was the father of Louisa May Alcott. So they tried to move the whole community over to New England instead of Prudlands, which I, uh, I I visit in episode 12. And that was a vegan community uh, in New England. It failed quite quickly, sadly, but developed the word vegetarian. And presumably they were using it to mean vegan. But when in 1847 they set up the Vegetarian Society, they set it up with Bible Christians who were perfectly happy about milk. Um, they, they're one of the Christian vegetarians who revere Genesis, but they uh, were lacto-over vegetarians. And so clearly the vegetarian society was using it to mean lacto-over vegetarian. But you do get, I mean, an American at the beginnings of the American vegetarian society takes the word vegetarian to mean vegan. Um, there's... Um, I think Anna Bonner's Kingsford, um, who's an amazing woman. Um, she, um, I'll mention her in a moment, uh, but uh, she says, well, she's not really vegetarian because she has milk and eggs. You do get the the occasional people. When Gandhi's in London, Mahandas Karamachan Gandhi, um, better known to history as the father of the Republic of India, um, when he's just a law student in London and and, and commenting on the and part of the London vegetarian scene, he mentions that there are three meanings of the word vegetarian, uh, what we describe today as as lacto-over vegetarian, lacto-vegetarian, and vegan, and and actually pescatarian. Um, so there's a there's a fair amount of confusion, and there's 
I don't think it's as straightforward as the word getting ground down. Um, but there's also an issue of people don't know how to describe uh, how to describe vegans, at least in, in Britain. Um, by that time, there's actually a, a French word for a vegan diet, uh, vegetarian. The French, um, despite their reputation as a nation of meat eaters, actually get to a a word for uh, a word for vegan, or at least a oh, vegan what, diet. What, what was the, the what did. was the word? What was the word? And when was it uh, in France? Then, um, well, uh, vegetarian. Uh, so, the word for vegetarian is vegetarian, and the word for vegan is vegetarian. Um, so, literally, vegetable area. If for a very crude, a very crude mm. transliteration. I'm I'm not uh, sure if I'm um, hearing a difference. Is there a difference? I, I I took Spanish in in high school, not French, so I'm not sure if I uh, is was there a difference between the two words that you were mentioning, like vegetarian and vegetarian? Was there a difference in those two words that meant vegan or? So the the so one is, uh, so uh, vegeta over lacto vegetarian is. Is vegetarian, and a vegan a vegan diet is a vegetarian, because vegetal means vegetarian. Mm -hmm. Sorry, sorry, vegetal means a vegetable, or just vegetable as an adjective, uh, and obviously vegetarian is um, is an adaptation of the English word vegetarian. So 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 spell spell the uh, French word for for vegan. I'm I'm excited about this. <laughs> um, uh, v e acute g e acute um, t a l i e n. So it's veget like vegetalian. Like t there's an l in there, right? Yes. That... Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Really... My, my French is horrible. <laughs> This really doesn't work very well on radio <laughs> over a voice over IP connection, um, but no, I, I have to I have to get this known, and, and and you know there there are lots of people with whom I'm in contact in in France, and they they probably don't know about this. So this is um, really fascinating to know that there was a word for vegan and in in a place where we, you know, we we don't think of as much as. Much vegan, you know. We think of fondue, you know. So, uh, and it so, was in the go ahead. And it was, and it was in the dictionary in eighteen ninety. Wow, that's um, amazing. How how uh, how how do you know all of this? How did you? You're, you're mentioning so many people. I don't know so many peoples. I don't know. Um, how how did you come to to know all of this? How how did you research all of this? Where were you Googling or in the library? What, what, what were you doing? Well, I'm lucky that I live in London. And so I can get a card to the British Library, which has been tremendously helpful. Um, there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of good written histories of vegetarianism. Um, uh, I know I know Rimberry has done a few, uh, but there is uh uh, there's Rod Priest, who's a, a full-on historian academic who did a very thorough one about 20 years ago, and um, Adam Spritzen, a, uh, a an American academic, has done a fantastic uh, history of 
uh, of 19th and 20th century American vegetarian history. Um, there is a there's an environmental campaigner called Tristram Stewart who did a very um, a very interesting, well-reviewed history of of early modern European vegetarianism and its particularly the impact of India. Um, but some of the details, because it's this astoundingly detailed bit of history, um, I, I just had to phone up specialist historians and talk to. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, so, so li listeners to the series will will notice recurring guests, um, like um, not just experts in vegetarian history like Sam Calvert and Julia Twigg who did their their theses on uh, on recent modern western vegetarian history but people like Peter Flugel who is a professor of Jaina studies um, because well J Jainism is the Indian religion related to Buddhism um, that um, that was was pivotal in setting an example of harmlessness uh, of ahimsa in iron age india and uh, and affecting the whole culture gradually uh, and obviously has had an impact on even american veganism because the american vegan society was started in 1960 by uh, by the jay dincher or jane um so and yet, and yet, so many Jains today seem to consume dairy, but they really um, seem very uh, appreciative of veganism. I've I've been to Jain temples in Southern California and Northern California, and uh, you know, many Jains are moving toward vegan, but uh, it seems that there's still much dairy consumption. Mm. And I think it's um, fascinating to see that interchange as. Uh, as Jain ideas don't just spread throughout India, they spread into the West. They inspire Western vegetarians. Um, they get they get to be a reference point for vegetarians in the West. Our strongest evidence for Leonardo da Vinci being vegetarian is um, is I think a traveller in Gujarat, which is one of the strongest Jain regions saying the Gujaratis don't eat animals. They're like our friend Leonardo da Vinci. It's, um, but in terms of the research, it's just been a lot of talking to experts, a lot of looking up um, quite, uh, quite, uh, quite detailed stuff in academic journals. And, and traveling, it, didn't you, didn't you, did, oh, were yes. there many, many travels for you? Where, where, where did you travel? Um, I went across the length and breadth of India to because so much of the story unfolds in India. Uh, and if there's if I've got a criticism of most of the histories of vegetarianism that have happened so far, they do they don't they don't really talk as much as they should about the amount of the story that happens in India and how the meaning of vegetarianism changes. And in the sense that it plays a role as a monastic vow of harmlessness and then mutates into a kind of 
social bragging rights and then becomes part of the caste system, which is not so good. Um, but I have been for, to Gujarat in northwest India, where the um, where so much of uh, where so much of the Jain community is to um, Mahatma Gandhi's ashram to um, um, the temples and doctor experts to doctor experts particularly in Delhi I uh, went around to Hawalal Nehru University talking to lots of people who have experts in various bits of Indian history and discovered things that I uh, that I hadn't realized in Kolkata I looked at the monument to something called the Black Hole of Calcutta, which is kind of a bit of imperial propaganda that was later used as an argument for why the British Raj should civilize India. But when you look into the guy who built it, he turns out to be a, a vegetarian who adopted his, who, who drew all his religious influence from India and really thought it was India that should be civilizing Britain. Um, to down on the, the southeast coast of India, uh, the temple built by a Tamil civil servant who, um, who was vegetarian because of his caste and was working, was the kind of top minister for the French governor. Now, now can you imagine being a really strict vegetarian working uh, working for a very dramatically different, uh, very dramatically culturally different French boss and a very ambitious French boss. Um, they, there are argue, there are snide comments about food made. I can tell you. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in India. Uh, I've, but in the West, I haven't. Uh, I happened to be in New England um, visiting my girlfriend, so I had the chance to go to Fruitlands um, to the vegan commune in the 19th century, as well as um, just, it's really just one of these fascinating corners of history, um, a pair of vegan shoes in Massachusetts, in upstate Massachusetts, near the border of Vermont, belonging to a... Uh, the, an orgiastic vegetarian cult leader from the 1790s and mm. and and possibly one of the most important locations for modern western vegetarianism is is manchester uh which sadly has been in the news in the last week but um but is the birthplace of modern organized vegetarianism with the uh with this ultra respectable victorian christian vegetarian church but respectable in a very progressive way um they were the um the leader of the church was also a politician who was one of the first people to stand up in the british parliament against the death penalty and they were anti-slavery and they were really very political radical and i managed to pop over the channel to paris um which has a surprisingly big amount to do with vegetarian history there are 
philosophers in the age of the Republic of Letters, who were one of the first people to challenge the idea uh, that that there was a hierarchy of being with humans at the top in, in terms of modern Western philosophy, um, to, to look at all the people who were inspired towards vegetarianism by Rousseau, not to mention the fact that in the middle of the French Revolution, you have militant vegetarians picking up the pikes and and and, and really trying to reorder the world. As one expert told me, it's the vegetarians of the French Revolution. They were the most radical. Um, they were the the people who wanted uh, who was uh, who had well, women on the front line of the army, which was is radical today. Never mind in 1792. Um, who wanted full democracy? It's uh, one of the nice things about this story is that often, often the vegetarians and vegans are also the most interesting people. Well, that kind of goes without saying anyway. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Everybody's, everybody's fascinated by veganism, even if they aren't uh, yet. Uh, we're, we're talking to Ian McDonald of uh, The Vegan Option, and he has produced this epic history, which is fascinating, this, this epic history that's unfolding on Go Vegan Radio today. Um, it's uh, vegetarianism, the story so far, a radio history. How do people hear it? Uh, what, what episodes are available to hear and, and how? Well, the, you can go to theveganoption.org, uh, my website, theveganoption.org. Uh, vegan option on Twitter and Facebook, and you'll see uh, you'll see at the moment uh, the first thirteen of the fifteen episodes are up, and the other two will be up very shortly indeed. I'm just putting oh, the I'm, I'm so looking forward to this. I'm I'm I I I, I watch. Uh... I, I, I spend so much time wasting my time on certain YouTube videos, and now I'm excited because I heard the first episode, and then you know back to back to living life, and uh, now hearing that all of these are available, I'm I'm really excited because I I just found the first the first episode so exciting and, and fascinating, and uh, our our discussion today uh, reaffirms that I I must go back and spend. Uh, spend my time with these. Um, oh, you mentioned that uh, Gandhi said that there were a number of forms of uh, vegetarian. Um, did he ever become vegan himself? What, what form was he? Um, he was lacto-vegetarian because, uh, because Hindu vegetarianism uh, mostly treats eggs as a life in themselves. Um, but he tried um, to be vegan and he fell ill. Um, at that time, uh, we don't know why, um, but at that time, people didn't know about B12. He was kind of restrictive in his diet, apart from being vegan. So we don't know why he fell ill. Um, but he decided that his vow of not having milk only applied to cow's milk. And so he was, he decided that, that he was pushed to, his conscience pushed him towards veganism when he saw cows being maltreated. And he decided goats, and he decided goats weren't, well, I think he had a pet goat um, at one point. Um, right, I've heard so that. that he he felt he felt this was one way he could get quote welfare assured. But he did, um, but he did fall ill, um, and of course, um, we only knew about B twelve 
well, B12 was only named in 1948 and only really identified in terms of its dietary role in the early 1950s. Um, and so obviously some people have speculated that that he tried to be vegan, we developed B12 deficiency and gave up. Um, he called it when he was, he called the fact that he hadn't managed to be vegan the tragedy of his life in a speech to the London Vegetarian Society when he returned to his old stomping ground and hung out with some of his old friends. Um, you know, they, they always blame, you know, it's like if, if anything happens, they blame they blame the vegan part. You know, they blame the vegetables whenever, you know, uh, there's there's contamination of, uh, you know, vegetables on the market and they have to recall, you know, it's like, oh, recall the tomatoes, the the spinach, you know, but usually it's it's fecal contamination, you know, so uh, just to uh, blame being vegan when, you know, uh, did Pythagoras uh, didn't get sick, right? Or uh, Da Vinci or whoever. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, it's always, it, it, it's blame, blame the vegan part, even though these days we see the connection of consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs to, to all the horrible diseases. And uh, we're told that 80 to 90% of... Uh, of diseases is caused by uh, animal protein and not much of it. So, uh, but it's always easy to blame the, blame the vegan aspect of things. Right. So, and, and, yeah. and meat eaters, meat eaters have B12 deficiencies also, and uh, lots of other problems. Um, yes, it's possible, but it, there is a specific, it, it's, but there is a specific thing to pay attention to. And of course, the important thing about B12 is it's trivial, I think. Uh, it's um, what I, one of the people I thought was fascinating is that the vegan society happened to have, uh, I'm biased because my PhD is in biochemistry, but the, the vegan society just happened to have a vegan biochemist on board in their early years. And he said, wait a minute, the problem's B12. He worked out it came from bacteria. It was really, we can brew it up like beer. And once, and frankly, if everybody was vegan, we'd just treat it like folate or, um, or iodine. It would just be fortified like that and, and nobody would pay it any attention. Um, mm. but, uh, but certainly Gandhi was very restrictive in terms of, say, of trying to only eat from a few foods at the time and he often fasted there are um there are certainly other possibilities for why he fell ill right so but and, and so so he said that the the greatest tragedy of his life was that he wasn't able to be vegan is that yes that he, he did yeah well um yeah <laughs> that, that was though i think he said that before the partition of india happened um mm -hmm. I, I, I i'm not i i i'm not sure if he's it's it's trite, uh, but mm. but I, I, given Gandhi's whole life story, I feel I have to say that he said that before the partition of India happened. Um, mm. Okay, um, so so we we mentioned ahimsa, you know, ahimsa and going back to the Jains and all. These days, I hear a lot of people who are yoga practitioners who are upset that uh, a lot more people into yoga aren't vegan, and they're saying, you know. That's the first precept is, you know, uh, ahimsa uh, should be a, a part of yoga. And, and if it's not, uh, you know, it's just uh, stretching in expensive pants or something, you know. So um, <laughs> uh, so that, that's what I'm hearing these days is uh, people saying, why isn't there uh, ahimsa in, in 
modern yoga practice? Well, I stumped you. I'm, I stumped I'm the historian I'm here. Slightly stumped. <laughs> I mean, I know. You, I mean, yoga uh, has. I know. I mean, yoga draws itself from old um, Indian traditions, uh, but I think it's important to realize that India is a continent. Um, that uh, that it's it contains these multitudes of different traditions, and it's and. I think if as soon as somebody says this is the authentic Indian tradition, they're probably wrong. Um, even when it comes to the Vedas, there are there are different versions depending on on which traditions you've picked up. And I think it's one of the mistakes the British made uh, was to quickly assume that if they got one version of the Indian scriptures, it would be definitive. When actually when actually it's very, it's a developing culture. I mean, to be fair, the Vedas are very well preserved, considering that they were passed on entirely by oral tradition. Um, they've been passed on by oral tradition from, uh, in some cases, the second millennium BCE. And and what seems but, to be the support for uh, consuming cow's milk then? Um. I or the rationalization or the the, ration, the rationalization um I think um the way I've heard it expressed I mean inter interestingly when the vegetarian messenger the British vegetarian newsletter had one of their ongoing debates about veganism in 1908 to to 12 one of the people who contributed was uh, the leader of the Animal Friends Association of the Punjab, um, and speaking up for for his views of why it was okay to eat milk, and talking about uh, really uh, suggesting that uh, that the cow was allowed to nurse its calf and had spare milk, um, very much a welfareist argument, which I've heard in several ways before. Um, but what actually happens is that India starts off as a uh, does seem to start off as a society um, that kills cows. Um, there are ritual ways of doing it, and I don't know whether that was the only way of doing it. Uh, and certain societal groups would abstain from eating the cows as perhaps as part of their training, as part of the Brahmacharya vows, or as part of a vow of Ahimsa, um, if they were uh, if they were Jain or Buddhist. But because I think because drinking milk was probably an adaption that predates uh, that predates the Vedas. I say this because well, I'm trying to remember one when lactase, because obviously most people are lactose intolerant, um, actually not being lactose intolerant is is a genetic change that spread across uh, across the west of the Eurasian landmass in the last few thousand years, uh, and it would be interesting to see when it hit 
Uh, I haven't looked up when it hits. Um, the 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 Indo-Aryan groups as they were migrating out of out of broadly speaking the Black Sea area and to, further into India as well as west uh, across Europe. Um, but the uh, because um, one of the fascinating things uh, I'm going off the subject of vegetarianism, uh, but if you look into the development of uh, if you look into the development of the Persian Avestas as well as the Hindu Vedas as well as uh, as as well as religious rituals in Ireland even um, you can see uh, common you can see some common roots to um, and of course, the Black Sea area is in the middle, uh, and there's a belief that those traditions with the Vedas migrated into India from the northwest. Um, I'm going to assume that you are going to wa- want to cut that wrong and not very relevant and kind of hard to follow answer, and you may wish to answer the que- ask the question again. Uh what was the question? Was the question about the rationalization of consuming? Um, yes. Do you, nope. do you want to ask that again? Because I think I gave a really awful answer from a perspective. I, I don't know. I don't know what was awful about it. What, what was awful about it? And tell me what you would like to... I think what, what was bad about it is because I wandered quite far from the subject of vegetarianism. And also because I threw a lot of concepts at the listener quite quickly, it'd be quite hard to follow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Um, it it all seems interesting to me, so I you know <laughs> pinch me when it's not supposed to be interesting. Um, so <laughs> it's all fascinating. Um, it, it is. I'm 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 totally fascinated by the subject, you know, because I'm 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 a, I'm a living part of it. But aren't we all really? I mean, we're all we're all affected uh, by mm. by this. I mean, it's so uh, all consuming what what we eat, you know. So um, I, I guess. Uh, I don't know if you if you want to uh, condense uh, an, an answer to the to the question of uh, you know ha- how is it rationalized to uh, consume dairy in India as as part of vegetarianism? Uh, what, what's the reason behind it? What what, what would you well, want to say? Because you did say well, that there was I, a tradition of perhaps a tradition of of killing cows in India, which we uh, normally wouldn't think the case, and then. You know, when when we think, I I always thought, you know, the people in India must look at America, you know, with 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 all the hamburgers and everything. Like we must really look. I would think we'd look like uh, barbarians, to tell you the truth. And uh, you know, I, I I was once at an Indian restaurant in Atlanta, and you know, I was saying, you know, I'm I'm vegan, so I want to make sure that I'm ordering vegan. And she says, well, you know, what's your reason for doing this? I, my, my children, you know, this is an Indian woman. She says, my, my children are trying to fit in here in America. So they, they go to McDonald's and eat uh, burgers. And I, I said, no, you, you need to be influencing us. Don't, don't, you know, don't be influenced by our burger society. Hmm. It's. So. Uh, I think in some ways, um, in some ways, it's post hoc. Um, in, in some ways, uh, the rationalization comes afterwards. The um, milk drinking um, would have spread as just a way to get the calories. Uh, it's 
and 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 the rationalization comes afterwards um contrary to what most people and this is very controversial within india but the evidence does seem very strong it, if you look at the earliest indian scriptures the vedas um some of them talk about killing animals it seems reasonably clear that originally the cow was an exceptionally favored sacrifice and perhaps as india moved from a pastoral to an agricultural society as the cow became more important as a draft animal as you were more used to to milking them um um and of course the person who gives you milk is your mother uh, and certainly part of modern hindu rhetoric is that the cow is our mother it's uh the cow moved from being an animal that was an animal that was a particularly valuable sacrifice to an animal that you didn't sacrifice but a, but that's a gradual process and one of the really interesting um things i've been able to dramatize from indian scriptures is the argument about that there is there's one moment um i spent uh, i spent a few hours in a radio studio with some really talented um south asian british actors um uh, going through scripts i'd taken from in from from indian texts as the action, as the arguments play out as a, you may have heard of the mahabharata uh which is the great indian epic it's kind of like game of thrones with occasional breaks for um vast conversations about philosophy and religion and uh, and in the middle of it at, almost at the climax there is a a diversion for an argument between uh between a, an ascetic monk and between basically two hindu monks one of whom is pro killing animals this is killing a cow killing a goat in actually in that story uh, is is pro killing animals another one is anti and it really is argued out in the pages of indian texts as they slowly move not all at once because it's a continent um and not all of them towards seeing as the cow uh, as sacred and i met meenaka gandhi who is uh, she's currently the, the india's family minister um but then it, at that point it was an election campaign um who is um um who is a vegan or almost vegan depending on how generous you're feeling because she uh she doesn't always interrogate everybody about ingredients and and uh she was really critical of the way uh of the way cows are treated of the quality of milk of fairly familiar animal rights arguments that you would hear in the west um of the mythology and in some ways it's kind of heartbreaking to see um the cows that are wandering the street because they won't uh because Uh, oh they won't kill them but they'll let them wander the street and forage for themselves in rubbish heaps um so but i think i mean i think ultimately the rationalization is is you don't kill the cow 
that's the idea. And in many Indian states, cow slaughter is prohibited. Um, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact rules, uh, of the exact limits of that. But what often happens is that the cows are taken out of India and killed elsewhere. Uh, right. And often there is a very, there's also a very suspicious, um, the amount of, um, I think it's buffalo. Um, the, the, the amount of meat that, the, the, the amount of not quite cow meat that India exports is suspiciously high. Um, I, I think it's buffalo that India exports a lot of. And the suspicion is that India is actually exporting cow meat, but it's been renamed as a closely related animal to, to get past the, the, um, the taboo on killing cows. So it is quite, in modern India, it's quite complicated. And obviously it, it, it's also tied to caste prejudice. There was, um, there, were, there was a farmer who claims he was just moving dairy cattle around who was uh, attacked by, uh, by I think, Indian nationalists a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I think the principal defense of me, of the principal vegetarian defense of, of drinking milk is the one that's pretty much always been um, that, uh, that people will claim that the dairy cows are out hurt. And, and in the West, you actually do get um, Hindu religious groups like the Hare Krishnas um, trying to set up um, what they consider high welfare as in non-slaughter dairy farms. But of course, there's no real guarantee that they don't go bankrupt under all the weight of all the farms. They, the, the cows they're looking after and the cows get sold off and killed. So... So it's it's an yeah it's the old issue of yes it's the old issue of the welfare of animals that are being exploited by humans and you right. and and I often wonder why cow's milk you know what I mean maybe maybe it's that they were around and they produce a lot of milk once impregnated or once they're pregnant but uh you know Choosing a cow, I don't understand why we don't drink dog milk or cat milk or squirrel milk. Like, how did it, you know, who first said, like, hey, here's a good drink for us, you know, the, the baby food of baby cows, you know? It's, it's just a, I always wonder who, who was the first one who thought, like, oh, what, what a beautiful mm. animal, you know, let's, uh, let's slit her throat and eat her or let, let's drink her milk. And, and, and why a cow, you know? I mean, it's, yeah. why a cow? Mm. Yeah. And it's interestingly, um, you obviously we do get mythologies with other animals doing the feeding. So Romulus and Remus were fed by a she-wolf in Roman mythology. And um, and I think in the history of in the food history, um, which I looked at once and I haven't really uh, but I, I haven't revised for this interview. Uh, I think that uh, that yogurt predates milk in an odd kind of way, because uh, because of the way the bacteria make milk into yogurt, um, it's easier to digest. And most adults through most of history haven't had the lactase enzyme, uh, 
Um, that that helps. That basically, um, most humans have. Most humans throughout history have been lactose intolerant, and which seems normal. I mean, it's a, that mm. makes sense to be lactose intolerant if if, if it's mm. you know the milk of another species, the baby food of of another species. I mean, lactose well, intolerance well, seems normal, right? It seems like a normal health well, healthy it's, state. It, um, I mean, it was it was be the same for human milk. It's because we're adults. Um, it's. We're left with complete speculation as to how, um, as to how dairy farming developed. Um, I listened to the fascinating BBC series, History of the World in 100 Objects. And one of the objects from, I think, first millennium BCE was a model of an auroch and um, a, a, a precursor to the cow that's now extinct. And the... And I remember the presenter of that saying that at that point they weren't being milked. Um, but it's developing. But um, but in a way, I mean, people know what uh, people obviously know that mothers feed children, and they can see the same processes going on in the rest of the world, and. It's um, and if you have and your child thriving depends on them getting access to milk. And if you have uh, and that's why the tradition of wet nursing is so common, where um, uh, wet nursing has almost been forgotten as a custom, but it used to be absolutely normal that people with lots of money um, would send their children to be um, to, to, to be fed at the breast of people with not very much money. Um, and um, that was, I suppose, one way of increasing how many children you raised. But, hmm. but being wet nursed by cows is, is I guess, a fairly obvious idea for a mother who's who, who's low on milk, um, particularly mm. if you've already developed the habit of, or, or particularly if you're already developed towards um, semi-domesticated cows for labour and meat. Um, so it's um, so I, I I can see how it developed, uh, and it but it, but obviously we're looking at. A process of, of centuries and millennia. Mm. Ah, well, I'd I'd like everybody to stop right now. I'd like them to stop and think about mm. what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? it, it seems that we've we've come to understand the dairy protein and is is the carcinogen to which Americans are most exposed, and probably so many people around the world. I mean, it's uh, we've we've learned that it's uh, carcinogenic. That, that there's a uh, insulin growth factor. Um, it grows tumors in people it grows cows really fast but also seems to grow tumors in people really fast um oh i should mention we haven't well, mentioned in a while well, this is I go mean, a... oh go ahead this is go vegan radio with bob linden yeah oh <laughs> well, i was gonna say that this is go vegan radio with bob linden at go vegan we're talking to ian mcdonald uh who is with the um 
the vegan option and is the producer and the presenter of vegetarianism the story so far a radio history 15 episodes epic journey into the roots of compassion and were you going to say something or am i going to were you going to argue ins- insulin growth factor or growing tumors fast or I'm, carcinogen? I, 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 I'm, I'm a bit i'm a bit skeptical about that what we do know is that vegans um vegans seem to have something like 12 to 20 percent less um cancer which is obviously rather good and i'm not going to turn my nose about it uh i i think it's less obvious why um and i don't i mean hormones are a possibility i mean the issue with uh yeah i mean and i mean the issue with milk in particular is that I mean, I think that makes a perfectly logical piece of speculation. I mean, the um, well, well, I'm 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 I'm, I'm speculating. I'm speculating based on um, the China study and T. Colin Campbell. What 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 mm. what was said there? So I'll you know I'll, what do I know? You know, I'm just uh, yeah. I'm j- I'm just repeating what uh, well, and and that is considered I guess the the largest study of diet and health ever. So um, you know, from that. Uh, it was said that the dairy protein is the number one carcinogen to which Americans are exposed. And then we go on to insulin growth factor and, you know, all, all those other things. So um, that's, that's where, where I'm getting that. But yeah, I, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go for Epic Oxford as the biggest study, but uh, for, certainly for it's which, a really Epic Oxford, which is interesting because we actually get a, a subunit of that, which is pretty much run by vegetarians and vegans. Um, really interested in the consequences for vegan diet, and that's where I got the 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 the, the idea that we have uh, an up to a twenty percent lower rate of cancer from. Um, mm. And I think, but yes, I mean the the, the obvious inference about and, and insulin uh, growth uh, factor and insulin growth factor was that something considered or that you well saw in just that the or? fact that, that that a lot of the cows are pregnant when they're being milked and so obviously there's going to be real mammalian growth factor in the milk and that could um and that's something that's probably i think that might be the same thing as insulin growth factor really does need to be uh, properly investigated hmm. um so and i think what, what the bill go ahead uh it's a certainly it's a certainly a reasonable piece of speculation about why why it is that that vegans have lower rates of cancer Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so let me uh, take us just on this side of the pond again. We were in India with buffaloes, and 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 um, I remember that I had a guest on my program some years back, uh, Rita Laws, PhD, who wrote on. Uh, she said, um, you know, uh, vegetarianism and the American Indian, um, and uh, again, she she seemed to. Um, uh, she seemed to be saying that there, there's a lot more vegan history uh, in in Native American people than uh, anybody could imagine. Uh, she being Choctaw, w- were you? Uh, did that come up in your studies? Uh, there's there's one. It came up twice. Uh, once uh, the anthropologist in the first episode mentions uh, some Native Indian traditions. Uh, some. Uh, Native American traditions, and also fascinatingly, um, in the run-up to the American Civil War, there's the Octagon Settlement, which is a group of vegetarians uh, 
this is during burning Kansas in the prelude to the American Civil War, where slavers and free staters are tr both trying to occupy Kansas um, to sway the vote on whether it's going to be a free state or a slave state. And as part of this effort, um, the American Vegetarian Society is in the forefront of, of the fight to abolish slavery. There are really strong... Uh, there are really strong links between the progressive movements for abolitionism and women's suffrage. Uh, and so they try to set up a community um, in in Kansas. Um, round, it's called Octagon because they also have an architectural theory, because why not? Um, and uh, And the... The, the settlement struggles because it's it's the wild west it is really hard to start up a city from scratch but the local indians uh, are, are the osage or the osage um and they get on really well with the osage um not just because they're both getting by in the in the same place actually the the head of the settlement um uh lives in an abandoned teepee uh, but also, um, it's just a fascinating detail that the Osage's own background founding mythology says that they came from two groups, one entirely vegetarian, one co uh, and uh, which I assume means entirely vegan, because there really isn't an access. There really there because ga pure gatherers don't have access to animal products. Uh, one entirely vegetarian and one entirely hunter-based. And I mean, that's just, that's mythology. I don't know how true it is, but it may have made them more positively disposed to this vegetarian settlement who was kind of struggling mm. and, and actually well, shared a lot of meals um, with the Assage. Yeah. Do Dr. Laws, uh, as, as I recall on the program said that, uh, uh, especially uh, Choctaws and, and others were, were vegan, didn't wear animal skins. Um, and uh, their, their view of heaven was uh, ever flowing melons. And she talked about all <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> all the fruits and vegetables that had been, um, you know, um, cultivated uh, throughout what is now the U S and uh yeah, so 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 that basis there. Um, again, a reminder that Ian McDonald has produced and is the presenter of Vegetarianism: The Story So Far, a radio history. And um, I I'm really looking forward. I I heard the first episode, which was was great, and we we went back to ancient times and to Jainism. So oh so so where do you go with this as uh, as the most modern point? So like. If. I I just just to mention the the website is theveganoption.org. You can get um, you can get um, almost all the episodes from there, and very, by, probably by the time you've got through the first 15, the first thirteen, all of the episodes, <laughs> um, theveganoption.org. Uh, but it takes it up to the present. So in the final episode, which I'm editing together now, um, talk uh, we look at the foundation of organised veganism in Britain. And I talk to experts on that, and I meet uh, a life vegan who was born in 1951. Look at the surge in vegetarianism in the West in the 60s and 70s. There's the hippies grow up and 
factory farming is challenged um, and um, I, I talk, I, I look at the situation post-World War II in India as, uh, as animal activists begin to divorce vegetarianism from caste. Uh, I speak to uh, I, I, I speak to Menika Gandhi, who's um, who's vegan and uh, cabinet minister in the federal Indian government. Which, mm -hmm. so so uh, it, do, it doesn't actually it, it so so your your history doesn't actually go to this interview that we're having today. That's that's not included in it. But uh... that's sadly <laughs> not that, that might be a, that might that, that might have. Been, Yes, I, I just have to be spend all my time actively <laughs> editing the last episode to always bring it up to date. <laughs> right. I, this may be, I, I don't know, This my radio show may be the, uh, I don't know, the oldest vegan radio program. I mean, the, the first vegan radio program, maybe. I don't know. That'll be, you know, for you to, to go to the library in London and see if you can I figure that out. I think it might out, be but... because I, I think animal voices are stopped. I think well, they started this is this is we started in 2001 um so I don't know um uh, I've been doing this as a you know vegan show for 16 years and the first uh the first commercial vegan show for sure because we were on commercial radio stations CBS and Clear Channel and uh the Air American network so I'm I'm trying to get some asterisk in history here you know what I mm -hmm. mean just <laughs> I think uh, yes, I think <laughs> I think an asterisk in history is kind of <laughs> what we all hope to achieve. Um, the, <laughs> right. Uh, but yes, no. From memory, I my memory. I think I remember you acknowledging at some point that um, the Animal Voices Toronto managed to start. No, Animal Voices, um, the the one that's southeast of Toronto. Um, Managed to start before you, but that was ages ago, and I could be wrong. But and, anyway, and, 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 and that's, that's Toronto. That's that's Canada. That's Canada. So we we don't uh, this. I'm talking. Okay, so I'm talking about the U.S. Then, okay, I'm narrowing down the asterisk a little bit here. So USA, it's... USA. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that matters to us. That's all you know. That's all we care about. Is you know. USA, USA. We we can't we well, can't the, find anything on a map. All the places you've mentioned, no, none of us can find on a map. We, you know, so that's that's the way we are. We don't know. We don't know what a kilometer is. We don't, you know. I mean, we just, you know, USA. What can I tell you? <laughs> so, and also, Ian, what what about the the vegan option? What what is that aside from you know the production of your uh, fifteen episode epic history? Uh, what what's the vegan option and, and what are you well, doing with that? The, the vegan option is really the, the name for my overarching show. I, it's like uh, vegetarianism so far. The veg, um, vegetarianism, the story so far, is a season that I've given a special name and branding and theme tune because it all hangs together. Um, it's uh, and tells one epic story. Um, really, this the vegetarianism, the story so far, began as an idea for uh, for maybe a special two or three parter um, story in the vegan option. Then I realized this was a project 
all by itself. And then I, it became a lot bigger than, um, than I'd originally planned. Um, well, I, I so planned on doing this. Sh- I planned on doing this radio show two or three weeks, uh, you know, in in, in uh, two thousand one. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, somebody said to me, "Well, after two or three shows, you know, you're not going to have anything to discuss. You'll be out of subject matter." You know, and I feel like I haven't gotten to anything yet, and now having you on, I know I haven't gotten to any. You know, I mean, I'm, there's so much. <laughs> it's- <laughs> that might be true, uh, but no, it, we it uh, is very humbling to see the whole spread of India. But the vegan option, I just try to make really interesting radio that happens to be vegan. It's kind of um, I'm ex BBC, so it's I, I try to bring those skills to it. I just try to make a show where I uh, I talk to interesting people. I'll pick a subject. I'll try and find the experts. I will um, I, I will try and. Uh, get out on the street and find interesting material about it or, or maybe a skit and um, and produce something that um, that sounds like the, the kind of quality stuff you you might get from public radio um, so yes, really and, you- and, and you certainly you certainly achieved that from what I heard from from listening to the uh, first episode and uh, oh and, and by the way I'm starting a uh, an online music radio station. That uh, I, I see, I'm, I'm just looking for that historical asterisk. So it's uh, it's going to be an online music radio station with uh, no commercials for any products, you know, related to uh, meat, dairy, fish, eggs, or you know, anything related to eating or wearing animals or using animals. So um, Radio Bobby, RadioBobby.com, coming soon, and uh, hopefully, you know, that'll make it. You know, when you decide to to do your your next epic series maybe maybe we'll make it to one of those so <laughs> there should there should really be a there should really be a way to check a box and say look you have all my preferences stored don't send me adverts that are for dead animals well you know and anytime all radio stations all tv stations here i i can't bear turning on you know television or, or radio because even if there's a song or two that i like um you know next there'll be a commercial for chicken wings or you know mcdonald's or whatever so there's there's really no escape and when you turn on the tv set it's it's you know constant propaganda for eating animals and and the pharmaceuticals that people feel that they need you know, mm. because they do eat animals and, and animal products so uh th- there seems to be no escape so i i want to give this escape um you know you know i i was a mm. music pro music program director for many mm. years uh and uh so i feel like i can do something with music that you know people will find an oasis and an escape uh, you know kind of a a happy place and uh you know it's without the uh with the without the awful interruptions um that uh you know just that just turn things around and make them so negative and ugly i'm just so tired of uh all the uh you know all all the comedy and all the sex uh used uh to sell animal products and uh so here'll be here will be a place to to escape from that so um i guess maybe we have another minute or two left or if is there anything you wanted to mention or that we didn't uh well um if you want if you want to use the clip that i sent to you 
of the animal rights process in, protest in Iron Age India. Um, this is from the second episode. What, what would you want to tell us about this? It's just really when the different traditions in India start to rub against each other. The, the strict ahimsa, you've got to be vegetarian, of the Jains and the, uh, and the much, more, much more take what you're given attitude of the Buddhists. And it's actually uh, something that was recorded in a Buddhist scripture. Okay, all right, let's give it a listen. Early Buddhist texts include a set of stories that they passed on to explain their monastic rules. One story recounts a clash with the Jains over ahimsa, animals, and meat-eating. It is set in Vaishali, the capital of a tribal republic bordering the kingdom of Magadha, and it's the home turf of Jain teacher Mahavir. When I was there, I saw Buddhist monuments and the building work for a Jain temple, marking Mahavir's reputed birthplace. Both Gautama and Mahavir preached there. It is the perfect setting for a story of a clash of these two great movements for Ahimsa. The Buddhists tell of a big local figure, a kind of hereditary general, whose name is Siha. He was a noted sponsor of the Jains, but after long conversations with the Buddha Gautama, General Siha converts embracing the Buddhist teachings, the Buddhist Dharma. This is, after all, a Buddhist story. So General Siha invites the Buddha Gautama and his monks to a meal. Killing animals is against the Buddhist Dharma. But for these Buddhists, flesh in the market is different. The harm, the himsa, is done. The karma sustained, the animal already dead. Then the General Siha asked a certain servant... Go, good fellow, find out if there is meat to hunt. Then Siha, the general, towards the end of that night, had sumptuous food, solid and soft, prepared. Now at the time many Jains, waving their arms from carriage road to carriage road, from crossroad to crossroad in Vesali, cried, Today a fat beast! Great ox! Killed by Siha! The general is, is made, made into, into a meal for the Sramana Gautama! The Sramana Gautama makes use of this meat. Knowing that it was killed on purpose. That, that, that the, the deed, deed was, was done for his, his sake. sake. Then a servant approached the general Siha. Having approached, he whispered into the general Siha's ear. For a long time now, these venerable brethren have been desiring to discredit the Buddha, the Dharma, the Order. And those venerable brethren do not tire of telling false, idle, vain lies of the Blessed One. Not for the sake of our livelihood would we intentionally deprive a living thing of life. Then Siha, the general, having with his own hand served and satisfied the order of monks, with the enlightened one at its head, with sumptuous food, solid and soft. Then the Lord on this occasion, having given religious discourse, addressed the monks, saying, Monks, one should not knowingly make use of meat killed for your purpose. Whoever should make use of it, there is an offence of wrongdoing. I allow you, monks, fish and meat that are quite pure in three respects. If you do not so see, if you have not so heard, if you do not so suspect. The first thing that strikes me is that this Buddhist story is trying to paint the Jains as militant, judgmental vegetarians. One set of animal advocates trying to say, 
But don't worry, we're not those extreme animal rights people. Whilst the Buddhist order tries to at least ensure that people do not slaughter animals in their honour. Here, in the dust of Vaishali, are the lines drawn up for an argument within animal advocacy that is still going on. And from that day to this, the Jains are arguing that the only reason meat ends up in the marketplace is to be eaten, to argue that meat is murder. Meat is murder. And uh, as we see, even from ancient times to today, um, there are conflicts in animal advocacy. Um, and uh, in particular, I, I have uh, so much criticism of the Animal Rights Conference and the animal rights movement right now. Um, you know, ancient times to today, nothing, nothing seems to change, Ian. No, yes, nothing really does. It's, um, and of course, that story is being told by the Buddhists. So it's they're trying to, they are, are trying to tell it to the detriment of the Jains of the Granters, They call them in the scripture. Right. So, so you know what what's coming up at uh, this this coming animal rights conference? So I'm I consider myself a vegan at activist or vegan advocate. I, I don't know that I call myself an animal rights activist anymore because I feel like the the movement has been compromised and you know a featured speaker at the upcoming animal rights conference so-called animal rights conference in August is the founder of the reducitarian movement whose message is uh, you can you can change the world by ordering a smaller steak so uh, so here we are with that and arguments over cage free and uh, lab meat and uh, you know um, I, I can't believe we haven't concluded yet that, that I'm the one who's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've concluded that. And I guess we, I guess it's time to uh, con- conclude our discussion. Um, uh, anything else you did want to mention? Or uh, ha- have we covered it? Or- yes, I, I suppose in, in another century, somebody's going to be telling this story. And, uh, and by the time we get to the mid-21st century, it's going to be all about it's going to be all about um the climate change which of course is the big new argument the big new environmental argument against animal agriculture that that comes in in the early 21st century and within the movement lab meats because um lab meats is both going to be a a game changer in terms of encouraging people to be effectively vegan and kind of as you allude to really quite controversial within the animal movement as people don't know what to make of it as similarly the the mock meats that kellogg introduced from the seventh day adventist side were controversial in the 19th century and the mock meats of early medieval china were controversial amongst buddhists so it's it's interesting to see those discussions repeating themselves and and buddhists buddhists have been uh, perfecting mock meats over time they they you know, it seems like they, they they've got they've got it down you know so uh really really quite amazing so when that historian um a hundred years from now or 150 years from now and it might be you ian if you you know you're vegan you might live that long <laughs> um and and, and uh, that historian somehow comes across uh 
this interview today, and you mentioned climate change. So I'm the one out there saying that animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change, responsible for at least 51% of all human-caused greenhouse gas emissions. And I refer to the work of Robert Goodland and Jeff Anhang and uh, their their assessment uh, called Livestock and Climate Change. And regarding lab meat, well, lab meat is still from an animal. Uh, there will still have to be farmed animals to, to donate cells. Uh, those cells are fed by bovine fetal tissue. So we're, we're creating this lab meat. So, so, so vegans or animal rights activists are supporting, uh, this, uh, this animal meat that's, you know, that's not from animals, but it is from animals that has to be fed, uh, the, the blood from, uh, you know, uh, ba- you know, unborn baby cows. Um, and nobody wants it. It, it. it can't make it to market for, you know, it won't be practical for maybe 30 years and mm-hmm. nobody, nobody's clamoring for it. It's, 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 uh, it's the animal activists saying, we have the meat for meat eaters. You know, it's like, here, here's the meat you eat. We're, we're, we're vegan, but you eat this. So I, I don't see how that works. I think it's uh, another diversion, um, from, uh, from the cause of, uh, helping people go vegan. It's it's only going to be. I did a show about it where I I, I talked to the scientist that Peter was funding, um, um, as, as part of the the vegan option, which you can listen to at theveganoption.org, where I I talked to um, a, a really fantastic animal activist, Georgia uh, Kasmiyana, who's uh, very much of one mind with you on this, um, as, as well as a philosopher, a vegan philosopher who's a big fan of the idea of lab meat. But obviously, it's not going to be a solution in any way for animals, as long as it's using that bovine fetal serum, which you're quite not. Um, and and there, there will have to be, there will have to, you know, people are going to want a certain white meat or dark meat. And so they'll have to be getting cells from animals. So there will continue to be, you know, animal farms with animals who are supposed donors who are terrified of what happens to them. They uh, apparently to produce them that, you know, they'll have to rape the that's animals. That's the situation to, to, at the moment. But I, I, I think, as a long-term possibility, if we're looking ahead to something that what something might be like in 2050, um, yes, any any real ethical uh, any real ethical contribution to the the animal movement is going to have to deal with that and uh, and change it. Well, well, it's it's still it's still animal meat, you know, and, and last mm-hmm. year at the animal rights conference last year, um, the, uh, the slogan was, uh, meat is delicious and we're not going to stop eating it. Zero, a hundred percent meat, zero percent suffering, which is misleading, you know, untruthful. Um, and, uh, and this year it's, uh, you can, you can, uh, you know, change the world by ordering a smaller steak. So, um, I, I don't think, I don't think, you know that that vegan activism should involve uh endorsing any meat eating from you know meat from animals it's just a very strange uh course to take i think so. I mean, you say meat from um you say meat from animals interestingly when i was a few months ago when i was going through um episodes 9 10 11 i was dealing with early modern english sources which all used the word plant meats and flesh meats it became ah. normal for me to um, to just think of meat as solid food and not necessarily animal, because that's what the word meant until 
sometime in the 18th century when it crossed uh, crossed over into into the modern usage of of of, of meaning from an animal of dead animals fault. animal animal flesh yeah from from what i understand the interpretation in, in of uh, genesis uh, 1 verse 29 uh when talking about you know the herbs or plants or you know uh, it, it it concludes with with this shall be your meat you know the um, you know food from uh, that grows from the earth so uh, maybe and, meat meant more like food and unexpected that? I mean if if, if that if the famous translation is usually the King James version and that's early seventeenth century so that's that's going to be um, well within the. Uh, the old usage of meat as in solid food. Mm. So, so where was this? You, you saw a, a distinction between plant meat and flesh meat. When was that? Where was that? What? Because I've I haven't really. That would be rough. That would be roughly somewhere in the middle of the 18th century. So, um, so the big dictionary um, from Boswell, I think. No, Boswell was the friend of Doctor. I forgot the name of the guy who did the dictionary. Um, the the guy who Webster, made the, Webster, Merriam Webster. The, 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 oh no, know. no. no. Um, before <laughs> then, he was late. Before then, Boswell was his servant, Samuel Johnson. Samuel okay. Johnson did his dictionary, which was the kind of the first significant dictionary in English. Um, it included both definitions: meat, meat, meat definition one, um, any solid food. Meat definition two. Um, animal flesh, um, and, and that was late 18th century. Uh, but when I'm looking at documents about uh, uh, from the English Civil War in the people when, when there were quite a few radical vegetarians around, uh, then they're talking about plant about plant meats. Interesting. Okay. Well, there there are plenty of them, plenty of those uh, vegan options out there now, and uh, quite uh, you know, some vegans seem to stay away from them, and others love them. And I, you know, I I think it's it's great that they're out there. So, um, okay. Well, thanks, Ian McDonald, for being with us today. the The website again is theveganoption.org, dot org, right? The vegan option yeah, or the vegan, vegan option? option yeah, theveganoption.org. dot org. Um, Twitter, vegan option. Facebook, facebook.com slash vegan option. Um, Instagram, underscore the underscore vegan underscore option underscore, because obviously that one was taken. Um, <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's been a fantastic chat and uh, lovely to be on your show. Very enlightening. I certainly enjoyed it, and uh, I I can't wait myself now to 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 get to those episodes. I I've only heard episode one, and you know I became a fan immediately. So I'm I'm looking forward, and maybe uh, maybe after I get through some of these episodes, we'll have you back on, and uh, we'll discuss uh, we'll discuss uh, more of the content. That'd be fantastic. Pretty interesting, huh? That was. Uh... A wonderful segment with Ian McDonald, and uh, we appreciate his time, and we're glad we can finally get this program posted uh, since we conducted the interview uh, months ago here. Um, I invite you to visit the website possumswelcome.org 
to learn about an animal sanctuary in the making. This nonprofit is seeking coastal land uh, for this farm animal sanctuary. And uh, the vision right now is uh, that it will be a small, that, that it will have a, a small vegan cafe um, and a small uh, bed and breakfast and weekly seminars um, to learn about veganic farming, yoga, uh, vegan cooking, and, uh, you know, have to be more conscious and compassionate. So, again, I invite you to visit possumswelcome.org and also um, support a hot and sexy vegan fashion line. Go visit the sonasdenim.com website and support a vegan company. That is spelled S-O-N, as in Nancy, A-S, denim, like jeans, dot com. Sonasdenim.com, S-O-N-A-S, denim.com. Each gene, is, is it possible that the genes have gone, that have genes have gone singular? So each, each gene, or maybe each pair of genes, even though it is actually one gene when you come right down to it, um, <laughs> is uh, each gene or each pair of genes is uniquely made uh, from up to 50 pieces of denim and made here in sunny California. Um, you can also purchase yoga pants and um, support this wonderful vegan company. Um, Christine Garcia is involved with that. Christine Garcia, one of my heroes. She has spent her entire life as an attorney um, defending dogs. So one, one of the true heroes, Christine Garcia. Um, and, uh, oh, I, I also want you to check out a great gift idea uh, from vegan artist Victoria Hart. Her website is victoriahart.weebly.com, Victoria, H-A-R-T, dot W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. Um, and it's the My Life Coloring Book and My Life Coloring page featuring your beloved dog or cat or other animal family members. Details are at the website, and you can order a coloring page, a coloring book, a custom animal portrait, a custom realistic animal portrait, and custom character art. From Victoria Hart, again, that's Victoria Hart, uh, victoriahart.weebly.com. Okay, well, that'll do it for this special episode of Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. I do invite you to support us uh, with a tax-deductible donation at goveganradio.com. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Go Vegan Radio, and Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Thanks for listening. Thank you.